You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode 13 of Mission Possible, How Everyday Ordinary Christians Become World Changers. You may consider yourself an ordinary Christian, but as such you may have more potential for mission outreach to people than professionals in the church, like pastors and teachers and people on staff. In this particular episode, we're going to look at a number of different target groups of people, many of whom are non-Christians, that can be reached if we know a specific strategy for each. And so the first group that I want to talk about today is Muslims. Many people coming into this country from the Middle East come with a Muslim background, and uh, they, are, they are part of Islam, which is a huge religion next to Christianity. And uh, I've learned so much working for decades uh, as a consultant to a group called Pablo in Detroit, Michigan. They are Christians from the Middle East. Their ancestors were Muslims. They became Christians, and now they are in the United States working all over the North American continent to reach Muslims for Christ. And in the process, they train Christians to be part of that mission. It is an amazing, amazing ministry. And I want to share a little bit about that with you because you may know someone at work or maybe even have a neighbor or someday will meet, uh, likely meet that someone that is from a Muslim background. And so at Pablo, they, they use what's called an international friendship center that's usually located in a Christian church. And uh, they utilize everyday ordinary people just like us and train them to reach uh, these Muslims, and uh, it's just a fantastic uh, situation. Uh, they help them to learn how to uh, find a, a, a house or uh, buy a car or learn how the banking system works. They uh, help them get driver's licenses and uh, how to shop and, and stores that they're not used to. All these things that new immigrants have to face. In the process, they develop friendships, and that's the key right there, is the power of friendship. So let me talk a little bit about Muslims and how to reach them for Jesus. Uh, it's, it's an important thing for us to understand. And so as we begin this, uh, I want to say don't be afraid of Muslims. You've heard bad things on the news, and we have had uh, wars with uh, uh, bad Muslim groups in the Middle East. But don't be afraid of those who are immigrants to the United States. They came with an openness, promise you. And so recognize also that most Muslims are not practicing their faith. You see, most of these people that come to the United States from Middle Eastern countries are not Christians, but they're not necessarily practicing Muslims either. 
And so uh, what's happened in the United States is that um, we know that uh, among practicing Muslims, many Muslims have purchased churches that have died, gotten old, died of old age, and ran out of people and didn't do any outreach. And so they buy these churches and they become mosques. Uh, and, and so those are the strong Muslims that come to this country. However, we have an opportunity to reach out to Muslims and help them assimilate into our culture. And in the process, share with them about the Lord. This is important because there's a phrase that my friend Mick Woodhead from uh, England said a long time ago about making disciples. Uh, he said, members go to church, but disciples of Jesus go to work. Disciples who become missionaries go to school every day, learn every day until they die. They never stop learning. They never stop growing. And so even in this challenging issue of reaching out to Muslims, it's an opportunity for you to learn and grow. And so let's look at some of the key ways that we can learn. Understand, first of all, as I've mentioned, that many of the immigrants come to this country are receptive to new ways of life, and they are open to change. They may not be practicing Muslims. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the main thing is, is to develop a relationship. And in that relationship, watch for receptivity. And some of that receptivity may be triggered by the words, why are you so nice to me? Why are you helping me? That's a sign that they are receptive to learning more about what is the issue behind your issue that you are so kind. And that issue behind your issue is Jesus. So build that relationship and watch for receptivity. And when it is evident, ask three questions. Did you grow up in a Muslim home? Obviously, most of them are going to say yes. Ask the question, are your parents still practicing Islam? And find out what they say. Most of them, if their parents are in the old country, wherever it is, uh, may say, yeah, they're, they're very strong in their practicing. Then you ask, well, here in this country, do you practice your faith? And there may be a pause right there, but then ask another question. Do you read the Quran? Do you pray several times a day? Do you go to the mosque? Those are simple questions. I've never had a Muslim person get upset or nervous or defensive by asking those questions, and I've done it a lot. If they say they go to the mosque, ask their question, ask the question, what is the name of your imam? That would be the leader of the mosque. And if they don't know, um, that will signal to you that they may have visited a mosque, but they aren't regular attenders. They would certainly know the name of their imam. And then it's your turn to share uh, for my testimony, I start out, well, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And 
You may have a different story, but it doesn't matter. As a Christian, tell however you became a Christian. And then share some of your God stories about how your faith has made a difference in your life. That's key. Don't throw scripture at them. Just say, yeah, you know, it's made a big difference in my life. Once I had a serious illness and I prayed and, and I went to the hospital, but I prayed and I had many people praying for me and I believe God healed me. Um, something like that is a God story. Next, as you work with these people, help them to assimilate into their new country. Most of them are open. And because they're heirs, they are heirs of people who live in another country now. They've left their country. They've left their family. They've left their parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. They don't have that parental pressure, which is very big in Islam. So, there's a great opportunity to reach Muslims. And when they become Christians, they are enormously enthusiastic. They make great Christian evangelists. Why? Because they grew up under law, regulations, rules, rituals, but they find love, grace, acceptance. Let's talk about another group of people, baby boomers. These are people who were born after World War II, and right now they're getting older, and they're thinking about retirement or are retired, and they're parents of children who now have children, and their whole world has changed quite a bit. And they also know that because of the aches and pains they feel, they're getting older and they will die. It's much more realistic to them than it was before. And so many of these people are Christians that are baby boomers, but most of them are not. The church has lost many of them and they never came back. By the way, this is likely still the largest group of people in the country, and they will be maybe for a couple more decades uh, because people stopped having as many uh, children, uh, generally speaking, uh, after the baby boom. And, uh, and so they're a large group. Uh, they are burdened because they have, uh, some of them have still have aging parents, and they are burying them, and they are watching out for them. Some of their parents are deceased and have been for a, a, a decade or so, uh, but they have experienced close death firsthand. And so they're conscious, a little more conscious than most younger people, that their days are numbered. They are closer to death, and they know it. They are what we might call the Viagra generation. Uh, there are many signs that their bodies are aging. They are beginning to take their own death seriously. And this is causing a trend. It's called the baby boomerang. Some of these people are more receptive than they ever were, and they are thinking about eternity and death and life and uh, what they've done well, where they've messed up, uh, 
the tragedies of their life, and uh, they have time to think about these things now. Here's what you want to do. Here's a strategy. Invite them to a gender-specific group that focuses on Scripture but operates, and this is very important, operates as a flat environment. In other words, a minimum of top-down leadership. No lecturing, but a lot of discussion. In fact, no professionals like pastors running the group. It would be much better if there were Christians who are their peers who would be part of this group and lead it. In this group, part of the strategy is speak to the challenges of life. The, the life challenges that they're facing right now. And, um, and so uh, share what the Bible teaches. Uh, what does it mean? What does that mean now? What is the practical application? Uh, share stories of what Christianity has meant to you as a Christian. Encourage open discussion that is honest transparent, and authentic. Be real with these people. Do not assume the Christian faith, but explore it. This is why a lot of these groups use the, uh, uh, the training materials called Alpha USA. Check it out, alphausa.org. The key idea here is to build relationships do not focus on denominational distinctions. Do not focus on criticism of other Christians, other churches, or the government. Just focus on what Christianity means from the Scripture and what it means to you. Do not force participants to answer questions or read the materials or read the Bible out loud. If somebody wants to do that, great, but don't force anybody into that situation. Uh, another part of the strategy is don't invite them to a group, bring them to the group. Literally pick them up and bring them to the group. Do not call this a Bible study or a Bible class. You can call it a, a Christian or faith-based discussion group or something like that. And the best location as part of your strategy is anywhere except a church building. Debrief with the person you bring, especially in the early visits afterward, uh, and do that over coffee or lunch, and basically show that you care and work on building that relationship. And the last part of my strategy for the boomer generation is don't be in a hurry to invite them to church. I know it sounds like heresy, but don't do it. When they show interest, bring them, not invite them. Don't even say, I'll meet you in the parking lot or the front door or whatever. Bring them with you, with their spouse, with all of their family, if they have family members with them and have them come with your family members or your spouse or whatever. Let's target another group here and talk about strategy. That is reaching those who are young adults, that is out of college or maybe at the end of college through the early years, the 10 to 20 years following that. 
This is uh, technically called the millennial generation for now. Uh, they were born around the turn of the century. Uh, sometimes they are called Generation Y uh, or Gen Y. They are postmodern. They are the result of a whole new era of life. Uh, they don't just think different thoughts. They think in different ways. They are part of the explosion of the Internet. And so they, they know much broader and they are less concentrated on fewer things. They basically live with a smartphone at the end of their arm. And they are natural networkers. So they like networking. They have grown up networking and not networking just on the Internet working, but networking with others. They are strong on relationships and they want to make a difference more in some cases. In many cases, they want to make a difference more than they want to make a living. Now, that changes as they get older and have more responsibilities, have kids, buy a house, or whatever, if they even have children. But the deal is they do want to make a difference. They respond very well to a challenge. Uh, they like challenge. Too much of life has probably been handed to them by their parents. And this group, the, the these millennials, have left denominational churches by the hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. Some of them have also left the faith. But many of them, in fact, maybe most of them, have not left faith in God. They are just not practicing it because the church that their parents went to doesn't feel like millennial. The music, the style, the seating, the so many things about the church just are not part of their culture. However, and here's the challenge and the opportunity, they collectively represent at this point in time in history the greatest hope for world revival. This has already been demonstrated in places in Africa, South America, Russia, yes, Russia, even the underground house movement in China. They are at the heart of breakthrough revival in many of these areas and have been for a couple of decades, those who are Christians. And they are part of an awakening movement in the struggling and dying churches in Europe. And we visit these, uh, especially the ones in England, on a regular basis every year and take people there to see it. And you'll see these millennials as leaders in these churches. It's just phenomenal and gives you a great hope for what could happen elsewhere. Uh, they are contributing to the unprecedented growth of many non-denominational and independent churches in North America. And I want to make this clear. They are at these non-denom churches, not because of the theology but because of the style, because of the ambiance, because of the feel of the church. And many of them, as practicing Christians, are bringing their children, and their children are growing up very healthy in those kind of churches. Millennials are relational, 
authentic, non-institutional. They are experiential, so they experience much in worship and in their faith. And they are inspired or can be inspired by a cause. So to reach millennials, start by inviting them to coffee, not church. Not old school coffee, Starbucks coffee. Listen and learn, 90%, and talk, 10%. Be a listener. Talk about faith when you do talk, not about church. Focus on building a genuine relationship. The simple and most important and effective strategy to reach this generation is to identify other young adults who are faithful, available, and teachable, and equip them to be missionaries to their own generation. Let's talk about faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful. They love God and are fired up Christians. Available. They're willing, and some of them are. It's amazing. Willing to invest in a challenging relational, hands-on type of boot camp experience focused on spiritual formation, discipleship, and training in outreach. They love a challenge, and this is a challenge. Thirdly, teachable, willing and eager to learn and grow. Now, there are a couple of different ways of doing this. One is to have the SEND movement at your church where you have a group of people of all ages, not a majority and not a program of the church, but just those who are ready that are early adopters to be involved in the SEND movement training. That is training specifically for churches, for the people that are in churches to to be trained in mission strategy, and it's a little bit over a long period of time uh, with a lot of discussion and involvement. The other uh, SEN movement is where the young adults will go to a SEN training center, and they will spend 10 months of their life not only getting the same missionary training and teaching but also on-the-ground experience in this country and beyond. Uh, they take a mission trip beyond uh, into another culture. They also work through several cultures in this country. They learn how to do everything, like mission to prisoners in jail, uh, mission to homeless people. Uh, they get a wide variety of training, mission to youth, Mission to Seniors, Uh, they get a 10-month hands-on plus mission teaching course. And whether they go into ministry or not after this, or whether they go into college or whether they go get a job or whatever, as a member of a church, these people are gold for a congregation. And they can start a movement uh, in that church that would just change everything. It's the healthiest infusion of mission uh, I know of in the world. And uh, I didn't come up with it. I learned about it first in England, but we do it here 
uh, through Church Doctor Ministries also. And so challenge those people that might be on that uh, small group of people that have the ability to do that, to take 10 months and uh, get immersed in that. So when they return to your church, these young adults, uh, these, these uh, millennials, they not only are good at reaching other people their own age, uh, they, re- they can reach anybody anywhere. And, and then continue to uh, look for, pray for, look for, until you find other young adults that are showing exceptional interest in the ministry of the church, the mission of the church, but are not willing and ready or called to go to seminary education or something like that. So, this is really great. You can also start that SEND unit at your church uh, if you've got one of these people that have been trained in it. The whole issue about these people is postmodernism represents a new epoch. And this new epoch requires a new paradigm, a paradigm shift in training, which also means that classical seminary can no longer be the only route into ministry. And that's why these SEND units exist. This is such a great opportunity to reach many people. Now let's talk about the seniors. These are people that are beyond the the boomers, uh, way beyond the millennials. These are people in their older years. They have buried a number of their friends. They have been to funerals, even though they don't normally go to church. Many of them have heard a message from a preacher at those funerals, even though they don't know a preacher personally themselves. These seniors are getting older. The writing is on the wall, as the scripture says, and they're beginning to realize that the end date of their life is coming. These are people who have more time. They're retired. They, they may be helping with their younger millennial kids and their kids' kids, uh, but they do not have a regular job anymore. And so they travel, they do other things. These are people who need to find people in their same age group who are trained, excited Christians. By trained, I mean willing to gather them together into a social group. This group of people loves to eat, loves to gather together. Uh, They often play cards together or go to social events together or whatever, they would be great to have a Bible study that is not strongly academic uh, unless these are academicians, but for many of them, it, it is just an introduction to Christianity and is led by someone in who is a peer of their own age group. And so these people are more receptive than, uh, than most people can imagine. Uh, they act like they're busy with all sorts of hobbies or whatever, and, uh, and yet they are people 
that could be reached. Again, this is not a group that meets at Starbucks necessarily, although there are some of them that got into that habit. But more likely, they're a group that would meet in the home of someone similar to their age. Uh, they might uh, bring food. Uh, they might be treated to food and not have to bring it at first, but uh, after they come a couple of times would be happy to bring food, their favorite recipes. These are people that uh, have been cooking for years, and uh, some of them at least, and uh, might be willing to do that. So it could be kind of a group kind of a thing. Keep the group relatively small. And when it gets larger, which I hope and pray that it would, because you would have that mission mindset and you would equip people to bring other people. And if they're having a good time, they will. Um, but instead of uh, getting larger and larger, start another group. And that other group should have some of the newer people and some of the long-term people connected together to start that new group. It's uh, easy to become selfish. It's easy to become self-centered and think that, you know, I don't want to break up my group. But the mission is the mission, not to make you happy with your group. You can still have larger get-togethers with other groups that is in a park or someplace larger venue, uh, and you get to see those people maybe quarterly or whatever, have a special speaker come in that is a Christian who will tell stories about missions or whatever they're interested in that might tie back to their Christian growth. And then uh, these people also need to be invited to church as they grow and become um, more interested in the Christian faith. And when they do, again, you want to bring them to church, but when they signal they're ready, not when you think it ought to happen. And so these are the ways that you can target each group. Again, formulating a strategy that is specific to their lifestyles and their, uh, and their age group. Again, there'll be some outliers who are of one age, but more specific to another group age, uh, fine. Diagnose that, figure it out, ask them a few questions, find out who their friends are, find, you know, find out what, where they really fit. But generally, they'll fit in their own age group. And if you can reach them with sensitivity to who they are at that time in their life, that is a target group. One more thing. I talked about Muslims because they're the scariest people for most Christians, but uh, to, to reach, I mean. Uh, and and uh, they're not really, but they, they, that's the way it feels to some people. But it's also true of other ethnic groups that come into our, our areas, and uh, some of them are, are uh, not Christian as well. And so many of the uh, same strategic issues that I talked about Muslims also apply to other Hispanics, uh, people from other backgrounds, Asians, whatever. 
and uh, uh, they are approachable, and God can use you to reach them. Well, that's the end of this uh, particular uh, uh, episode. It's exciting. I hope that you're excited. Next time, we will look at how to identify receptivity in an unbeliever, and that will be one exciting episode as well. God bless you, and keep praying that God use you as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, because that's what the Bible calls you. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.